0: Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. So, speaking about our values, let me just give you a full list of all these values uh, so that you know what they are. If you've been to Every Nation Discover uh, discover Dinner, you would have heard about these values. If you go to our website, you will be able to see these values. So the five values on the left, and please excuse me for the red, it's not so clear. E and global values are the values that all Every Nation churches around the world we subscribe to. The Lordship of Jesus Christ, evangelism, you heard about it from Pastor Roger last week, discipleship, leadership and family. And uh, these values, everywhere you go in every nation globally, you'll find them. This is who we are. That's what we stand for. What I like about every nation family, you can go uh, to this 82 nations where we have an every nation church and just Google, you'll find a church. This morning, I, I had someone who's in Ivory Coast in Abidjan, the little Paris, saying, is there an every nation church here? And I was able to say, Well, there is a group of people that are meeting there. Here's the number. Thank you, David Mudiba, for connecting me. We do have people there that are part of Every Nation that are starting a small work there. And then the five values on the left, it's every church is welcome to add values to the Every Nation values. So as Every Nation John is back, we've added spirit-empowered, word-based, socially responsible, multicultural, and multigenerational. And you're going to hear about all these values and why they are so dear to us. Today, I have the honor and privilege to talk about leadership. Leadership is one of the values we hold dear to us. And when we talk about leadership, it's not just church leadership. It's leadership in all areas of society. All areas of society. Everyone is called to be a leader in some form or the other. And I know that some people believe that some people are born leaders. I subscribe uh, to the Miles Monroe School of Thought. Everyone is a leader. You are leading something or someone. Even if it means you're leading your dog, you're leading something. Just embrace whatever leadership that God has given you. That's a joke before you send me an email on Monday. It was John Maxwell who said, everything rises and falls on leadership. This statement, I'm sure you've had it somewhere at some point where John Maxwell, who writes about leadership, says everything rises and falls on leadership. Now, let me put it to you in a different light. Maybe this will help you. Can you agree with me that all the problems we have in the world today are somewhat connected to the brokenness in relationship? somewhat connected to brokenness in leadership. Okay, let me try this side. Let me try here. Can you agree with me that all the problems we have in the world are somewhat connected to brokenness in leadership? Thank you. Let me try this side. Let's see. I'm just checking if you're awake this morning. Can you agree with me that all the problems we have, especially... It's in the world. In South Africa today, they are linked to brokenness in leadership. Thank you. These guys are awake. I'll try again. I'll keep coming. I'll keep coming. Why I want to emphasize this is whether it's leadership in the family or leadership in any institution, when there is a brokenness in the leadership, that institution, that society, that family will struggle. You know, it was uh, when we are doing the Father's matter Series that we are trying to get to the point of the role that men and fathers need to play in the lives of their families. So with that in mind, I was reminded of the fact that if you're a leader, you will face serious challenges and you are called to solve problems. So if you want to be a leader, know that you will face serious challenges and you're also called to solve problems. So if you don't want to face serious challenges, don't be a leader. If you don't want to solve problems, don't be a leader. Some people are leaders today just because of the position they got into. uh, They were placed there. But actually, they don't want to be leaders. They don't want to serve people with a role that it comes with as leaders So, our focus today is women in leadership or leading ladies. Someone is here today. Yes, it's Women's Month. Happy Women's Month, ladies out there. And when we talk about women in leadership today, I just want to give you a a disclaimer, a warning that, you know what, I haven't watched the Barbie movie in case you think that I'm coming with that spirit. I'm not coming with that spirit. I'm just coming with the spirit of the Bible. I'm going to teach what the Bible says about women in leadership. And you know what? This topic of leadership is so broad. I'm sure you've attended seminars and workshops on it. So I needed to choose one of them, a subtopic of this broad topic of leadership. And guess what? I chose the most difficult one, Pastor Lireko, women in leadership. The most simplest one, but very difficult. Yes, there we go. Who runs the world? Let me start with these questions. That's it. Let's, let's, let's go there. Why is it a challenge to receive women in the marketplace, and specifically, I call it marketplace ministry because it's also ministry. If you are in the marketplace, that is also ministry. Amen. It's not only pastors who are in ministry. All of us are in ministry. Why is it a challenge to receive women in the marketplace or marketplace ministry and in church ministry? Why is it a challenge? I'm going to endeavor to answer that question, why I think it's a challenge. Why is it difficult that, you know, it's the enemy is always pushing women aside and not wanting them to take their rightful place at the table? Let me... Put another disclaimer. I'm not talking about leadership in the home today because it is very clear that a man is meant to be a head of the family. A man is made to be the head in the marriage. If you have issues with that, take it with the man upstairs. Send an email up there. Every institution ought to have a level of authority, a head, someone who leads that institution. Because anything that's got two heads is a... Monster. It's not a trick question. Every institution has to have a head. The family has got a head. A man at home is the head. And just if you think that, man, that's a nice job that you have. Actually, the Bible says a man is a head just like Good way Christ is the head of the church. And man must lead the way the church is led by Christ. And man must lay down his life the way Christ has laid down his life for the church. So if you want to be the head, be like Christ. Let's start there. If you say, I'm the head of the family, I'm looking for Jesus. I'm looking for Jesus. I'm like, where's Jesus? If you are the head in your house, where is Jesus? I'm looking for Jesus. The same way Jesus treats women, is that the way that you treat your wife and your family? You know, the role of the man as the head in the family doesn't mean you lord it over your children. You lord it over your wife. You manipulate, you control, and you abuse. That is not Jesus. That is not Jesus. That's a topic for November when we talk about relationships. But I wanted to clarify there that there's no confusion of what the role of a man is at home. The next question I have is, uh, what makes us effective in leadership and in ministry? You know, again, I want to emphasize when I say ministry is ministry in the marketplace and in the church. What makes us effective? Is it physical features like your appearance, you know, your muscles, the fact that you're strong? Is that what makes us effective as leaders? Is what makes us effective as leaders? The color of our skin. No, it's not the color of our sin because we are all gifted, God has gifted us. And then the new word I learned recently, what makes us effective as leaders? Is it our res? <laughs> For those who don't know what riz is, it's charisma. Just hang around, young people. You learn new words. You learn new things. You know, I'll be, I'll be, around, my, I'll be around my kids, and then they'll be talking. And one of the, the, especially the girls, they say, he's got res. I'm like, what are they talking about? What makes us effective in leadership and in ministry? It's it's not charisma. It's not Riz. What made Jesus effective as a minister? You know, as we look at what made Jesus effective as a minister, I'm going to build a case of what made Jesus effective as a minister. We have it. Both men and women, we have it. So why is it that if we have what makes us effective in leadership and in ministry— if we have the same thing, why is it that women's work is seen to be inferior, but a man's work is seen to be superior? Why is it that if we have the same thing that makes us effective in ministry, that is seen that a woman's work is subordinate, but a man's work seems to be up above? Let's go to the Word of God. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. We read about what made Jesus effective in ministry. And then we're going to come to the truth statement of what Jesus said about women. We're going to look at some of the contentious Bible verses that we need to get a proper understanding. And then we'll end up with some of the great women leaders in the Bible and in modern days. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee after he'd been tempted by the enemy. And a report about him went through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all, being praised by all. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the liberty to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is the word of the Lord. The first verse we read here, it says, the Spirit led Jesus. He returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee and reports about him were said. He was praised. He was glorified. He was doing great things. Can we all say Spirit? Spirit. He did great things because of the Spirit, because of the Holy Spirit that was on him. That is why we continue to read in verse 18. Can you read with me? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Let's read again. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is a man who was God himself, part of the triune God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But he says, I need the Holy Spirit to be able to do what God has called me to do. And then he says, he has anointed me That's a very powerful word. Anointing means that you have supernatural capability. You have supernatural power to be able to do things that you will not be able to do on your own. That's what anointing is. Put it differently, anointing is God's power on human flesh. Things that human flesh will not be able to do, you can be able to do. I like how Apostle Paul puts it. He's such a prolific writer. He says that, for we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We have this treasure in human vessels to make all the surpassing knowledge, the surpassing power of God to be revealed in us and through us. He says that we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. So this power that rose Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. This power that made Jesus to proclaim good news to the poor, the good news that Pastor Roger was talking about last week. This power, it helps us to proclaim liberty to the captives, to set people free who are in bondage. This power that comes through the Spirit, it helps us to bring recovery of sight to those who are spiritually blind and physically blind. I'm still praying for blind people to see because of this power. Because of this power. I'm still praying for the dead to come to life because of this power that is in us. Again, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. That's issues of injustice that we need to address as children of God. We need the Spirit of God. Amen. We need the power of the Spirit. So to bring it to the context of why we need the Spirit, what made Jesus an effective leader and minister was the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That anointing of the Holy Spirit helped Jesus, who was God himself, to do this amazing, profound things. And when we read in Acts, we understand now it's coming close to us. This is the disciples after they've seen Jesus ascending to heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room to pray. When they were there staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. Not Judas Iscariot. We know what happened to him. All these, with one accord, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, the power of prayer before the Holy Spirit comes, together with women underlined and highlighted, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Now, I like the fact that the writer here, whom uh, Bible scholar says it was Luke, took pains to mention that together with the women, The women were also there in the upper room. Why do we close them outside when they were there when the Spirit came? Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. In fact, if you follow the ministry of Jesus, you realize that there were women that were traveling with Jesus. Even the Bible says there were women that supported Jesus. You know, Jesus was getting a salary from women. I know that's messing with some of our theology right there. Jesus was supported by women. Go read the scripture, and the Bible continues, Acts 2:17. "And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters, uh, thank you, Lord, shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall all prophesy. Now, this is what the Bible says. The spirit that we received, men and women, sons and daughters, male and female, was poured out on us and we will all prophesy. So, based on the scriptures that we've read, before we go to the contentious scriptures, every nation policy statement on women is very clear. Globally, we support and encourage women in all areas of ministry. All means all. All in the Greek means all. All in the Hebrew means all. In all areas of ministry. So, meaning that women are allowed to also preach the gospel, to preach the word. And I'm going to show it to you now in these three points I want to bring to you. The truth statement that Jesus empowered women and Jesus treated women in a revolutionary way. We're going to look at the contentious Bible verses and end with great women leaders, as I've mentioned. Now let's look at how Jesus treated women. This is the truth statement I want to submit to you this morning. Jesus empowered women. He died to save and to empower women. Jesus treated women in a revolutionary way. These are some examples. Jesus made Mary, remember Mary who was sitting at Jesus' feet, Jesus made her a disciple. And Bible scholars simply say that if you were to make someone like that a a disciple, basically the implication is that she could, potentially become a rabbi now that gets us thinking that jesus made her a disciple jesus was simply saying women can be anything they want to be because jesus empowered them jesus sent the samaritan women to preach to both men and women if you didn't know this was the first evangelist to be ordained and to be sent by jesus Women can become evangelists. Women are evangelists. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are poured to all of us, are given to all of us. This woman, I like her testimony. She goes into the city and she says, come see a man who transformed my life. This woman preached the gospel to the entire city, just saying, come see a man. Jesus empowered women to preach. That's the true statement. Jesus sent Mary Magdalene as an apostle to the apostles. You know, go read Matthew 20. I like the account there. In Matthew 20, Jesus has just resurrected. And the first people to arrive at the tomb, I'm just blown away that the other male disciples did not go to the tomb. It's the women disciples that went to the tomb because they believed what Jesus said. Jesus said, I will arise after three days. They went. I mean, they were maybe just hoping that they find the body, they anoint the body, but they, they, there was something that drew them to actually go and see what happened to our Savior. And then Mary saw these two angels, one in the front and one at the side where Jesus was lying. And then she turns around and she has Jesus call her by name. And she says, "Rabuni, Rabbi. And at that moment, Jesus sends her out to go and tell others that the Savior has resurrected. Jesus sends out a woman to go and preach. So who are we to say women must not preach? Jesus calls his bride to rule and reign with him for all eternity. And likewise, women are called to rule and reign in the church. This is why Jesus poured out his spirit on men and women. Now, that's the truth statement. The truth statement is Jesus empowered women to be all that God has called them to be. Now, we need to wrestle with the contentious Bible verses. And why we need to wrestle with them is I know that some people and some churches have misused or misunderstood these verses and actually they will say, women are not even allowed to be on the stage. Some churches today still believe that. Now what I want to submit to you, something that we are discovering through our studies, myself and Pastor Lerico, we're studying Masters in Theology. Suffering, but it's a good Suffering. (laughs) Lots of reading to do. Lots of digging to do. And one of the things that has really, really revolutionized how I read the Bible, even though I had known about reading the Bible in context, every time you read the Bible, there's three rules. The first rule is context. The second rule is context. The third rule is? You guys are good. You learn very fast. When you read scripture, you must understand the context of what was written. But one of the things that has really caught my attention is Context simply means you need to read the scripture and understand the authorial intent. The intention of the original author, what was their intention when they wrote that verse? What what was their intention when they wrote that letter? Because there was context around what they wrote. So that authorial intent is important for us before we bring whatever we read to current application. If I take what I just read, Paul addressing the church in Corinth or the church in Ephesus, and then just copy and paste without understanding the context, I may be in error. So today, we're looking at some of the scriptures that I never read in the Bible or in churches. First 1 Corinthians 14.34, Paul is speaking about instructions for worship, how we should carry it ourselves in worship. And as we read this, it says, women should be silent during church meetings. It is not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive just as the law says. If they have any questions, they should ask their husbands at home. For it is improper for women to speak in the church meetings. Wow. You see why we never read these verses, right? In the very, very tough ones. Maybe I should have warned you that today is not an exciting message. So, you read a Bible like that and then you just go and build a doctrine on this verse without knowing the authorial intent and the context for which it was written. The context here in Corinth, as uh, some of you may know, in traditional churches they still practice this, men will sit on the one side and women will sit on the other side. Right? I'm sure some of you have seen that. Having visited Egypt in Cairo, I remember going to a church and they were saying, men this side, women this side. They still practice that like it was in the olden days. So, when you read a scripture like this, let me just explain. The word silent, actually, when you go to the Greek, it's a word that speaks of quietness. They should learn in quietness. You can see when you read further, it speaks about how they should learn in quietness. We're going to read it in Timothy. So as men and women are sitting in different sides and the rabbi is busy teaching, what will happen is maybe the woman is distracted, maybe she's carrying a baby, she's got a child, she's distracted, and then she didn't hear what the rabbi said or she's got a question. She goes like, John, what is the rabbi saying? (laughs) Or Sipo, what is he saying? I didn't hear what he said. Can you explain to me what he's saying? You know, if you go and study some of the literature that is outside Scripture that were written in those days, you would understand that that was actually what was happening. I must say that now we have a different problem because men and women sit next to each other. It's the men who are asking a lot of questions during the service. (laughs) I thought I should just put it out there. So let's go back to context. Context is, it was instructions for public worship that do not distract public worship while the word is being taught. Now it makes sense when it says they should ask their husbands at home because they were busy distracting the service. That's why it says go and ask at home. You know, it is improper for women to speak the Greek when you go there. It's the word speak, chat. It's not preaching or teaching. It's do not speak or chat or ask questions. And it's good to read the Bible in context. We interpret Scripture with Scripture, right? So if you read the Bible in context, you see the same Paul wrote in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians that women should pray and prophesy in the service. Right there it says, But a woman dishonors her head if she prays or prophesies without a covering on her head, for this is the same as shaving her head. So your hair is your covering, woman, you're you're fine. You're sorted. In this church, you're good. The part about shaving your head is a topic for another day. <laughs> Hopefully you still have some hair there i don't want to I don't want to come across as derogatory or not respectful, but in the Bible, if you read the whole context of this, is that also men there's a certain way they need to carry themselves uh, because God is their covering, Christ is their covering. So in this context, it says women are allowed to pray and prophesy. In the church, you are allowed to pray and prophesy in the service. It is the same Paul who later was correcting how they were carrying themselves in the service. Now, do you see if women are allowed to pray and prophesy in the service, that context of 1 Corinthians 14 was addressing something that was happening at the time? So let's go to another contentious verse. Instructions again for public worship. Paul writes, For women who claim to be devoted to God should make themselves attractive by the good things that they do, the works that they do, not just the outward appearance. Women should learn quietly, this translation or this part, it uses the right Greek word, silently, not silently, but quietly and submissively. I do not let women teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly. Now, you must understand also, context is men, women, in the context of the home or the family, a man or a woman not to have authority. But there's further context that I'm going to bring to you. Let them listen quietly. For God made Adam first, and then afterwards made Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived by Satan. The woman was deceived, and the sin was a result. But women will be saved through childbearing. And I know that's one of the verses that's like, what? What does that mean? Women will be saved through childbearing, assuming they continue to live in faith, love, holiness and modesty. I want to hone in this point. We need to understand authorial intent, the original author's intention when they wrote. So I'm going to read something as an expert from some of the research that we have been doing, as every nation, Joe Burke, every nation, Southern Africa and globally. We do our best to study the scriptures and to understand the context. I should say that, that every nation policy statement, we do say that each church must apply it with wisdom based on the context that they are in. So, for example, the Modibas they served in the Middle East, they can tell you that in the Middle East, how you apply that statement, you should apply it with a lot of wisdom because of the connotations and implications that people could actually lose their lives in that context. Are we together? So, But now, in the church in Ephesus, the context of Ephesus is that it was an ultimate feministic city ruled by Artemis, or the virgin goddess. They had a temple for this virgin goddess called Artemis. She was one that was worshipped by female high priestesses who served her. If they get married, they stop being priestesses. So basically what happened was, if you are one of the people that follows Artemis, or you're one of the high priestesses, you are not allowed to get married or allowed to have children. Now, when Paul was saying a statement like this, that the woman will be saved through a childbearing, Paul was addressing a situation where women were prevented from getting married and from having children. So he's saying that when you move away from the spell of Artemis, when you move away from the control of Artemis, you're actually getting saved by being married and having children. There was the context. That was what Paul was addressing. Lest people take this and they say, oh, just because you have a child, you are now born again. (laughs) Paul was addressing something completely different here. So the other thing that helps us understand why Paul spoke about Adam and Eve, pagan myths taught that Eve was the mother of Adam and the great illuminator was never deceived. She also gave birth to Adam without a husband and without sex. They basically have their own doctrine in those days, meaning that they said that uh, Adam came from Eve and basically moving away from all that Genesis taught, all that Moses taught that God revealed about creation. Now, when Paul says it was not Adam who was deceived by Satan, or when he says, for God made Adam first, And afterwards, he made Eve. He was addressing this. He was addressing what was happening in Ephesus. In the church in Ephesus, the influence of women was very strong as the church had been founded again, which is a good thing, by Priscilla and Aquila. You see the mention of Priscilla first and Aquila second. Priscilla was the one who led the charge in the church in Ephesus. Priscilla was likely the stronger of the two. We read in Acts 18, we read in Romans 16, we also read in 2 Timothy 4 how Priscilla actually led the church in Ephesus. They also led the congregation in that city together. So one can make a strong argument that Priscilla was one of the elders in the church. Given that there was a danger that women were seen as superior to men, and a hyper-spiritual, Gnostic way rejected marriage and motherhood, Paul wrote in order to set things straight in the church. That we are not to be like the world. We are meant to be different. So these very difficult verses that we read, Paul was addressing what was happening at the time in Ephesus. Even when we read the fact that the Bible says, We should learn, or women should learn quietly and submissively, Paul was addressing something that was amiss in the church. So let me give you the roadmap of where we are. We come from understanding what Jesus says about women. That's the truth statement. Jesus empowered women to lead, to preach, to prophesy. We're clear on that. Now we have these contentious verses that we wrestle with because we've taken them out of context. And I know that there are people who have believed these verses word for word the way they are, and they've built doctrine around them. Now I'm going to take you to stories in the Bible that shows us that actually, from the beginning, from the origin, God created men and women equally. We are all created in the image of God. Amen. Women are not created in a different image. We're all created in the image of God. So let's go to Judges chapter 4. I want to show you the first woman president in the Bible. Judges chapter 4. you see why I'm reading this. We are preparing for national elections next year. Maybe it's time that we have a woman president. I'll put it out there. The stories I'm going to tell you, you will see why... The enemy is so threatened by women. You will see why. We're reading the story of Deborah and Barak. I'm tempted to say it the way I said it when I grow up, Deborah, <laughs> Deborah and Barak. Okay, for the sake of uh, Johannesburg, Deborah. We're looking now at examples of women leaders in the Bible. I'm making a point about, let's stop putting women in a particular corner. And I know that I'm speaking to years and years of traditions and a patriarchal system that seen the role of the woman in the kitchen. And I want to bring you to the Word and say, what does the Word say actually about women? And that's why I'm not putting it up on the screen. I want you to read yourself. If you have your Bible app, open it. If you have your paper Bible, open it. I want you to see it yourself in the Word. If you read the book of Judges, you see how Israel kept falling into sin. And God used Judges. Remember, there was before Israel had kings. The Judges were the leaders. They were leading the people. God was the king. And he had judges that were leading the people. So I'm reading from verse 1. And the people of Israel again, can we say again? Again. Sounds like South Africa. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. That was the judge before Deborah. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazel. The commander of his army was Sisera who lived in Harosh Hagohim. Verse 3. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. 20 years of slavery. 20 years under Jabin, the king of Canaan. Verse 4. Now Deborah, a prophetess. The Bible says she was a prophetess. This woman basically carried so much in her. She was a prophetess. The wife of Lapidoth was judging Israel at the time. If we pause here for a little bit, look at the screen. If you read it in other versions like the Amplified, now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading or judging Israel at the time. She was leading Israel. And by the way, the husband Lapidoth was just mentioned once. We never hear of him again. I'm sure he was a good guy. Nothing wrong with men who support their women and their wives. We need to celebrate them for celebrating their wives. We hear a lot about this other great men in Scripture. Today, we just want to celebrate the great women that God used. We continue to read. She used to sit under the palm tree of Deborah. She had her own... Uh, parliament there between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak the son of Abinoam from Kadesh Naphtali and said to him, has not the Lord, she's prophesying now, has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali. And then the people of Zebulon. And I will draw out Sisera, the army commander, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops. And I will give him into your hand. Verse 8, this is the most powerful verse for today. Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. This sounds so familiar. Haven't you read this somewhere in the Bible? When Moses said, God, if you don't go with us, we are not going. Do not take us away from your presence. We want you to go with us. Here's a man saying to a woman, if you don't go with us to war, we are not going. There's something so profound here. A man inviting a woman to the table where only men used to sit and stay. And men say, we need you here. We need your voice here. We need you because you carry something we may not carry. We need you on the table. We need you on this table. It's Old Testament, not even New Testament. He's saying, we need you to sit on the table with us. We need you here. Because there's something God has put in you that the enemy has tried. Genesis 3, the enemy has tried to put enmity between you and the son. The enemy is trying all the time to put the women away because he knows when the women starts to rise, the nations are going to be different. When the women starts to rise, our communities are going to be different. When the women start to rise, our families will be different. Our communities will be different. This man is a different kind of man. He says, if you will not go with me, I will not go. Wow. Who Jesus. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead you to your glory. And we need men who will be okay with that. We need men who will be saying, I want you to receive the glory this time. He says, the road on which you're going will not lead me or not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. God is going to give victory to a woman today. Will you be okay with that? Then Deborah arose, the woman is rising, and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and 10,000 men went up. His hills and Deborah went up with them. Now, if you continue to read the rest of the story, we understand how Barak Deborah took out the army of Canaan of Jabin. And Sisera jumped off his uh, chariot and was running and running and running and running. And as he was running and running and running, there was a woman by the name of Jael who called Sisera and said, Come, I'll help you. Come, my brother i got your back. I've got you. Come. And then he comes. I'm glad that the women were part of the war, part of the battle. He comes, goes into the, Jael's tent, and then Jael takes a rug and hides him under the rug. And then Jael, knowing that this man is an evil man, she went. Women are powerful. She went and took a tent peg and a hammer, and then he hit the guy in his temple right here. Bing! The Bible says, until it goes into the ground. Because he was so tired. He actually died on the spot. And the women took the victory that day. And God was glorified. And as men, we should be okay with it. What was prophesied by Deborah that God will give women the glory today? It's so interesting when you read verse 7 of chapter 5. You know, Deborah has now written. A poem. This is after they have won the victory. She writes a poem. She writes a song. You can tell that she was a quintessential, versatile woman. I practiced that. She was a quintessential, versatile woman. She was a leader. She was a judge. She was a wife. She was a mother, mother of the nation. She was everything. She was a songwriter. My goodness. She was a poet. Women can be anything they want to be quintessential, versatile (laughs) woman. Woo! Powerful. That's the word of the Lord. That's the word of the Lord. You can go Google quintessential like I did. (laughs) She writes in verse 7, Villagers in Israel would not fight. They held back until I, Deborah, hallelujah, Jesus, arose, until I arose, a mother in Israel. I pray that the mothers will arise. The mothers will arise. Some of the mothers who arose are these. No, uh, you're reading Romans 16. Junia is one of the women apostles that Paul says, I've worked with her. And some people say, no, you cannot have a woman apostle. Read it in the Bible. First Peter 2, 9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Women are also a royal priesthood. The last time I checked, he said, you all. A part of the royal priesthood, women can be priests, declares the praises of him who called us out of darkness into the wonderful light. Some great women that we've read about or that we've met, Amy Simple McPherson, she saw the miracles of the Holy Spirit and started a movement, Four Square Denomination that remains thriving movement today with 8.8 million people and over 150 nations. Women can be everything that God has called them to be. Heidi Baker, some of you have met Heidi Baker in in, in Mozambique. She's the CEO of Iris Global based in Mozambique, which feeds 10,000 children a day and has a network of more than 10,000 churches. She has seen the blinds come to see because the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is inside of her too. Ellen Johnson Salif, she served as a first African woman president. She opened the door for others. Now we've had Joyce Banda and many more coming. Being the first woman elected head of state on an African country as president, she secured foreign investment and established Truth and Reconciliation Committee to probe corruption and heal ethnic tensions. So many things are written about her and just the journey that she had to go through, the things that she had to go through in order to get to that position. And I love the fact that she's very outspoken about her faith. She says, what has taken me through all these challenges is because God was with me, he was by my side. And again, I say not that she was perfect. One of the ladies uh, in the church used to work with her. Room B, she's currently studying at Harvard. She says that, Every Sunday, she will go to church. And if you work for her, she will invite you to come with to church. It's your choice to go, not to go. But she was very clear about who she was. Here's a truth statement. Women are anointed by the Spirit to lead, to preach, and to prophesy. So when I look at the Bible, the verse that we've read, how Barak invited the woman to the table. And I want to say, I give a challenge to you sisters there. When you get to the table, create room for others to get to the table. Create room for others to get to the table. And also for men, create room for women to be at the table. This is something that I wrote as I was studying the scripture. Could it be that the church, the nation, the communities, the families, we're losing battles because we've not invited women to lead? Could it be that some of the battles that we are facing is because we have not leveraged on the partnership that God instituted? We've not leveraged on what God wanted it to be right from the beginning. Just to make a point, reading Harvard Business Review this week, they've just done a study about women ambition, and they picked out from the study that there are many situations in which both masculine and feminine traits are compatible and even complementary. It means that what the study is showing is that when men and women work together and complement each other, there's greater productivity. There's so much that they can achieve together. And then I think to myself, did we have to wait for Harvard research to believe what's already in the Bible? (laughs) It was already here. It's already here how we should work together, how we should have men and women work together to bring change to our society and to our community. The enemy, the devil, right from the beginning has been trying to just put this wedge so that women will not rise up to who God has called them to be. Let us stand to pray. Let me just give a charge to men today. We do well to celebrate partner and support women. Celebrate partner and support them as they step into their God-given leadership and ministry roles. Father, I pray asking you Lord God to bring healing to those women who have been mistreated. To those women who have been abused to those women who have been hurt whether in the marketplace or even in the church Father God I pray that you'll bring healing to their souls I pray Father that God you will help them to believe again to trust again to hope again that they have a place at the table and Father God I pray that we will see the impact of this powerful partnership that you always wanted it to be, Father God. Lord, I pray, Father God, for us men, Lord God, to know our role, to be like Christ in our homes, Father God. To be able to support, to celebrate, to call out women, to call them up the same way as Jesus called Mary and many others to the destiny that he had for them, Father. Father, I pray, even as we're going to go to ministry team, I pray that those who are still carrying hurts will be healed today. In Jesus' name, we give God all the glory. Amen.